Hello there, folks, and welcome back once again to Booze, Booms, and Busts, episode 82 now. And uh, yeah, another wild week it has been, but here we are. We've managed to make it back to our microphones with some booze in hand, and we're here to discuss the markets as ever. My name is Boaz Shoshan, and I'm joined once again by Sam Volkring. Sam, tell me, what's been catching your eye this week? Uh, wow. So many things. So many things. There's so many lot. places we could start. Um, first off, the country is literally going to melt this week. So <laughs> that should be that should be interesting. I am I am personally melting right now in a in a in a new office that is still awaiting blinds and still awaiting an air conditioning unit. So um, I am I am currently melting and will continue to melt all week. So the I, I've while while I've gone with sort of one of the more you know unique beers. It's probably not all that unique uh, in today's podcast. I've also gone with a good old fashioned refreshing. Uh, mainstream beer just because it was the coldest thing in my fridge as well. Um, but we'll get That's to right. that in a minute. But I think, I think, Boaz, I want to, I mean, it would be rude of us not to talk about the absolute clusterfuck that yeah. the purchase of Twitter has become by your mate, Elon Musk. <laughs> Our boy. <laughs> Our yeah. boy. Good old boy, Elon. That guy. Yeah, the, the only celebrity people refer to using their first name. Um, like well, the Madonna, only one I can Prince think of. Prince and Elon. Mm. Well, oh, sorry. In the financial world. Oh. No one talks about good old Warren. No, um, they don't. Or George. No one's like, hey, yeah. George. George. You know, did you see what George got up to the other week? But I suppose... You remember, remember when <laughs> our boy George, our boy George broke the Bank of England? Typically, though, people in finance like that, they're not called names like Elon or Madonna yeah. or Prince. They're called names like George and Warren. Yeah. Maybe, true. I don't know, Jeff. Benj Benjamin, see, Benjamin? Not even yeah, Ben. Yeah. Well, maybe Ben, yeah. <laughs> you do find people who work inside their organization will use their first name. Maybe that's like a call me Elon thing. But like with Bezos, I remember there was some documentary I watched on the forming of Amazon a while back and just the hallowed tones they would use to talk about Jeff. You know, they would stay, they would, they would take a significant amount of time just to, just to talk about Jeff. Uh, and maybe there's something similar there with Elon, I guess. What about, what but... about Bernie? If we just came out and said Bernie, who are we talking about? Bernie. Oh, good old burn. Good old burn. Feel the burn. Could it be Tim Berners-Lee? Could it be Bernie Sanders? Could it be Bernie Eccleston, another man who is in the press this week? It has to be Bernie Madison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I saw about Bernie. Oh, good old, old mate, our mate, Bernie Eccleston. Old Mr. <laughs> he's, he's a lazy 400 million in assets. It's a bit on the, uh, bit on the nose. Yeah, after saying you, you'd take a bullet for Putin. I mean, it's quite a... Uh... He might fucking take a bullet for Putin soon. <laughs> At this rate, maybe you will. Or, or, or from Putin. It's hard to decipher which. <laughs> Hashtag feel the burn. Actually, yeah. so you know, actually, I, I wouldn't. What, what there's a, there's a couple of things I do I do want to talk to you about this week because I, I do want <laughs> I want your I want your views on this because I, we haven't spoken about some of this stuff for a little while. But one of the things that I came across, and we'll get we'll get to a couple of those points. Maybe I'll raise in a minute. But 
you mentioned Jeff. Oh, my Jeff. Oh, yeah. Jeff. The, the Everyone great... knows Jeff. Everyone, don't you just love Jeff? Jeff. Um, I, I saw an interesting uh, snippet this week and we got it in a little Twitter thread, uh, Twitter thread, a little WhatsApp thread with uh, a couple of people. Um, so these, these shortages of staff at airports, baggage, oh, yes. can't get baggage handlers, can't get security staff because they all got furloughed and laid off and you know air traffic and, controllers yeah everyone just got got the ass basically during during the pandemic and so i was the, i was trying to figure out the other day how how have they been so slow to get these people back into these positions it's like okay there's you know they they've had to hire new people and go through all the security processes blah 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 but this piece i was looking at the other day was that um, basically, the argument was, and this there was a quote from the head of Emirates, who was saying, "Why would you? You know, the problem is isn't you know that we can't get the people. The problem is Amazon, because they're all going to work for Amazon, getting to drive around in air conditioned vehicles, listening to podcasts, doing Amazon deliveries all day, and getting paid considerably more than they would as a baggage handler or security staff, getting yelled at by unhappy people at airports." So it's like, it's not that they're not going back to those jobs. It's just that they don't want to go back to those jobs because those jobs sucked. And now they're going to go work for Amazon instead. That I find very interesting. <laughs> Indeed. And perhaps uh, somebody who is listening to Booze, Booms and Busts and while they're going about their uh, daily deliveries or their other logistic services for Amazon, you know, give us a give us a, give us a shout out somewhere. Tell, tell us uh, why it is that you're now working at Amazon when uh, previously, you were an air traffic controller or something like that. I do feel like it, the whole airline business is very strange. The, the The supply demand elasticity arrangement doesn't really seem to be there. So you can still get really, really cheap flights all around Europe. That they, they, It's not like there's been massive inflation in flight costs now relative to before the pandemic, depending on the destination, right? Of course, there are exceptions. But just when it comes to flying around Europe and stuff, that's not changed actually all that much. Hmm. And yet at the same time, there is, well, there's all there's an awful lot of inflation and energy prices a lot higher, but there's all these staff shortages. And it's like, why aren't the airlines just charging people a lot more to fly and then paying their staff a lot more in order to lure them back from these new jobs that they found during the pandemic? And maybe it's something to do with well, I mean, this is just pie and sky. I have no idea how this works. I'd be guessing it's something to do with uh, running flights. You have well, once you have a lot of planes, you can't afford to just keep them on the ground. You need to keep them running. You need to keep them flying, even if they're not full. And that's what's led to these low ticket prices. And if you don't, if you raise your prices, other airlines won't. So no one will use you anymore. Maybe there's something like that going on. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I, I, I get the feeling that it's it's a lot of that, right? Because you, you're right, you know, there's inflation everywhere and yet you don't see it really with, with airline prices. If anything, airline prices, <laughs> ticket prices, well, have seemed to be almost deflationary over time, certainly short-haul stuff. And you're right, the, the simple answer is they need to, like airlines run on razor-thin margins before everything sort of yeah. got, got a bit dicey. And then you're right, they need to charge more to be more profitable per head on per flight. 
But also, I think the problem is, is like you say, is they buy, well, they don't buy these planes, they borrow to buy these planes. So they're effectively leasing these planes from whoever provides them with the debt. And um, you're right, they have to, they can't have them sat there. And the problem is then if they if they charge more for their flights and they get maybe less headcount and they're doing less flights, um, that, that that maybe they, they have planes that are, are not operational or they're not running as, as, as often as they need to. So they're still gonna pay for those planes. Um, and it just seems like that they then won't be able to afford to pay for the planes that they have. And the thing is they can't sell those planes then either. Because no yeah, one wants to business. buy the planes because no one can get the debt to buy the planes because the planes planes are not cheap. I think it's a matter of um, sort of Survivor. It's, it's like they should do a, a, a HBO series or whatever, whoever it was that produced Survivor and, and just do it with airlines. And the strong, the strong will survive because they, they will just already a couple of stuff. I think it was SAS, the Scandinavian one, has capitulated. Um I think Eddie had sold to Emirates not that long ago. I think they'll just, I think we'll start to see a lot more airlines not just fail because they cannot afford to keep going the way they're going. It's funny because uh, remember all that drama back in 2020? It feels so long ago about airlines going bust and whether or not they should be allowed to go bust or whether or not they should get bailed out and all that. Yeah. They, and so yeah, many survive. I can't yeah. figure out how. Oh well, they just all of the financing from the from the government. I think, uh, yeah, it is a it is a strange situation. But you know, we are saying you know certain flights are very cheap still. Uh, I did hear uh, the other day just through uh, I think a family friend uh, paying what was it thirty grand for a round trip flight for a family of five to Australia, which uh, yeah, it's pretty pricey, but then that that wasn't that out of the ordinary before the pandemic either, because everyone knows flights to Australia are ludicrously expensive. Yeah, I, I've, I've roughly priced up what it will take for me to fly back to Australia um, next Christmas. They haven't really they haven't released the tickets for that yet, but it, it'll probably cost us somewhere in the vicinity of about seven thousand pounds i would have thought seven to eight thousand pounds for and and i've got you know the boys parker will be two max will be four so there's still children's ticket prices but it ain't cheap it is not 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 cheap at all enjoy that flight mate <laughs> i'm uh i'm going i'm actually going back there in february on my own for a seven day lightning lightning round visit and uh i'm traveling on my own so i'll enjoy that one but uh, yeah, well, I think I think we're gonna break it up with with the boys on the way back. Maybe do like two nights in Dubai or so, or like Singapore or something, and then then go to Australia. But in one hit, we did that once with with Max, but with two of them, no thanks, not for us. <laughs> yeah, Sam, maybe you can enlighten me on this. Why is it that Dubai? So Dubai is what the world's has the world's largest airport, and a lot of that is people in Europe getting to Australia. Why is it that Dubai, like owns that market share um i don't actually know i think they struck a deal with Qantas a long time ago so a lot of a lot of the Qantas flights that come in and out of australia are actually code share flights with emirates and so they're all emirates planes and then they use dubai then as their hub really for basically to connect through all of europe i think it's just because dubai is actually quite weirdly 
weirdly, weirdly central to all of Europe. Like you get that, you can get that pretty quick from anywhere, really. Yeah. Um, but it also services parts of Asia then as well, like India and Pakistan and Sri Lanka, where there's a lot of people that come from there and go out to Australia and back as well. So it really is the sort of epicenter of the world. If you, you want yeah. to get to Australia specifically, it's a, Dubai from anywhere in the world is actually not too long a flight from anywhere else in the world. Yeah. The, the Middle East indeed. Very it is well indeed placed. the middle of the East. <laughs> indeed, yeah. You know, is it true that uh, Australia has dropped all the restrictions for uh, getting in there if you're not vaccinated? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, so I put, my dad came out to visit and he went back on a flight. And as we were checking him in, uh, the lady that was checking him in said, oh, have you, have you downloaded the DPS app? Or something, DP something app. It's like Department of Science, Department of Health app in Australia, government. And you have to download it onto your phone and you have to put in all your details, where you are, who you are, when you're born, where you live, all your passport details. So you got to fill that in. Then you've got to scan yeah. a photo of your passport page. Then you've got to take a selfie. Then you've got to scan your vaccination QR codes. And if you don't scan those, you can't proceed to the next step and submit all the details. And then you've got to submit your health details. And then once you've submitted your health details, you've got to make a declaration about what you've done and where you've been. And you've got to put in all the details of where you've been while you've been on holiday outside of the country. And only right. then can you actually submit it all, approve it. And then once you're in Australia, you actually get through and go into the country. Now, if you didn't have QR codes to scan in and you couldn't complete the app, I'm not sure how far you'd get at customs and border control when you got to Australia. So they might say yes, but I think in practicality, probably not. Right. The logistics would still prevent you from doing it, even though they say you don't, you don't even need a PCR test or a lateral flow test uh, or vaccination. I would love to hear if anybody's rules. been to Australia that hasn't yeah. been vaccinated. If you have, you are, you, you're a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our favorite, our favorite phrase in this show. Though it has been a while since we've been talking about uh, unicorns, you know, on the on the subject of travel and traffic, at one of the hacker houses, somebody did posit the idea of Tailgate DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, a, a smart contract protocol, whereby participants in the DAO would be rewarded with DAO tokens using Internet of Things technology for driving as close to the car in front of you as possible. Uh, and uh, you would, uh, if you crash your car, you would then get an NFT. And this would actually be funded because people could speculate on which cars were going to crash. Uh, and this would be, you know, this would provide the insurance funding because it would be like you could uh, bet on a, on a bankruptcy almost, right? But then it was speculated, well, we should do this for planes as well in order to boost the traffic. So it's tailgating, but for commercial aircraft as well. And uh, the pilots then, of course, would just need to fly as, as close to the 7, 737 MAX in front of them as possible in order to increase traffic and enable flights to be as cheap as possible for everybody. What do you... 
I, you know, so I, I always, I always like flying on the Airbus A380. I like the idea of a giant fucking plane in the sky, like a just a big hunking, you know, defiance of physics. And I can imagine two of those flying, two of those flying within a hundred feet of each other would be the most terrifying thing in your entire life. I would have thought. And um, if the red arrows can do it. But but while we're on the subject of tailgating airplanes, um, <laughs> do you think do you like with so with airplanes? Do you reckon that the the, the the solution for them is bigger planes with more seats, or smaller planes but more of them with less seats? Uh, well, I think it, this can't. There's another angle here, which is the fuel efficiency, and that's probably. I mean, that's what led to the rise of the uh, the max debacle with boeing was it's all about fuel efficiency yeah. and with climate being such a big deal or it or it was until there was a cost of living crisis now i feel like that all the green stuff is probably going to evaporate uh i feel like maybe maybe fuel efficiency is no longer part of the mix but with energy prices high as they are it feels hard to imagine a sort of jumbo jet renaissance and we it just becomes bigger is better i would imagine this will become more a uh let's get more let's get more cattle inside uh you know the you know whoever runs the ryanair account on twitter has uh is pretty 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 big balls there was this great uh, tweet that some other airline had said how they're they were doing their economy plus seats for way more legroom and the Ryanair account just retweeted it with, uh, before you ask, no. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Give that mm. person a raise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, created a lot of engagement, which is, uh, is good. But, I, I, you know. I, I do think, I, think I, I can't help but think that synthetic fuels are going are gonna to be a, a thing in the pretty near future for the airline industry. And I wonder, like, so I didn't know this. I was watching, I was catching up on a whole bunch of Top Gear episodes because I quite like the new arrangement they've got. Um, well, it's not so new anymore, but it's, uh, the, uh, it's Paddy McGuinness, Freddie Flintoff and Chris Harris. So it's a good trio, a good mix. And they had a, they had a, a thing where they, they were running around in a, a Porsche GT2 RS or GT3 RS and a Lamborghini Aventador. Uh, full internal combustion engine cars, um, you know, like V, I think the, the Lambo was like a V, six liter V12 or something. And the fuel they were using was a synthetic fuel that had been developed by uh, Patty Lowe, who was an engineer and uh, head of engineering or something at um, a Mercedes F1. He's, Patty Lowe's been in Formula One forever in the day, genius engineer. But it was 100% synthetic fuel. And these, these cars were running on this. Um, and the, it uses somehow they use utilize it, the carbon capture and then the only output is carbon uh, dioxide itself so it's like carbon dioxide in carbon dioxide out so it's effectively carbon neutral 100% synthetic but they were saying the issue is a they don't have loads of it at the moment and it's about 10 quid a liter and I was thinking 10 quid a liter isn't that far away from two quid a liter which we're currently paying 
It's still a bit of a gap, don't get me wrong, but, but it's not that big a gap as Isaac. I was like, if they were said it's a hundred pounds a liter, I'd be like, I oh, will never see this fucking thing see the light of day. But that's not actually crazy either to think that all cars that currently are on the road today that run an internal combustion engine could use a fully synthetic fuel. If it's in development and it's usable now, even at 10 quid, a, a equivalent of about 10 quid a liter, that's not as far away as it might seem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then, but then, then, then you would have to, it's almost like you'd have to return the tide back away from EVs now to go to a fully synthetic fuel. I and, and I wonder if that's even possible now. Yeah. And I wonder if the, the difference with energy, uh, with electricity costs, and then with fossil fuel costs having a certain divergence at the minute, whether or not that's going to, uh, where, how, well, how much that will affect things. So uh, the idea of uh, driving an electric vehicle in Germany as uh, something that everyone is going to be able to do, and this is just what the future holds, uh, probably looks a lot, a lot further away than, uh, than it did before the pandemic, especially before uh, the most recent drama has taken place. Um, I, I do wonder if, if this is a sort of reboot of the 1970s, which I think is, I think that's where we're at. I do see, I feel like this is uh, 1970s, but with 21st century characteristics. Back then, that did see a big change in uh, automobile development, uh, especially in the States where they love their gas guzzlers. And suddenly there was this big shift away from enormous Cadillac Eldorados from the 60s, and uh, they became more fuel efficient and smaller and things like that. Maybe we're going to see something similar to that, where it's less about everything going electric and instead everything becoming more fuel efficient, and that with inputs there from the from the synthetic side. I mean, is it I with this synthetic fuel? How's the economy of scale work with that? I mean, can you bring down the cost a lot, provided that you have a lot of the capital investment at the outset? Uh, from from what I understand, yeah, you can, and it's not it's certainly not been the only synthetic fuel. Uh, uh, attempt of, of recent times or attempt and you know the, the idea of sustainable more fuel efficient fuels you know even additives into into current fuels has, has been something that's been around for a long time about increasing fuel efficiency you know volkswagen created a car that ran was like one liter per thousand kilometers i think not that long ago and, and, and mercedes has done something similar with the world's most aerodynamic efficient vehicle um Although I think that might have been the EV, but anyway, the point is, is that they can they can make them more efficient and and and, and faster and slicker through the air, and a lot of that, and a lot of the technology that to do that efficiency, energy recovery, and, and that sort of thing comes from Formula One and, and high high technology industries that people like Patio are involved with. So I don't know. I, I've I've never I always get the feeling that. Car companies like Daimler and you know, Daimler Mercedes and, and uh, Volkswagen grouping, all those big giants. I they're like, oh, we're going EV. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna only develop EV. And Volkswagen recently just announced the Gigafactory, and you know, they're gonna go. They're definitely gonna go down that path. But I feel like now, like their clandestine operations, which they no doubt have, are still pushing efficient uh, internal combustion engine cars. But with things like synthetic fuels or more efficient at the pump kind of thing. So I don't think they've completely given up the ghost on, on ice internal combustion engine cars. 
but it just feels like in order to stay on brand with the people uh they've had to push this ev agenda harder yeah. than they probably really wanted to yeah big time like here in aberdeen the council uh, had a big thing for uh it, it might even be a pan scotland thing but here in aberdeen there's a thing where uh, you know there's got to be enough charging stations for everybody and more and more from my perspective at least this simply looks like a, a free utility for the for the rich who can get an electric vehicle uh, and you know obviously they don't have to pay for the electricity for it you know they can just park up and uh, get get free juice and it doesn't feel like something that the everyman's going to be able to participate at all in. but um you know some funnily enough uh speaking of transport and whatever uh, i'm getting lots of ads on, on twitter now for all of those startups that said they're going to bring supersonic flight back yeah, boom in particular yeah so yeah. it seems like they've got a lot of marketing budget now. Uh, they've existed for several years, but maybe that's over the over the horizon, but it's definitely going to be the preserve for the ultra rich. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. It'll be it'll be like a return to the days of the Concorde. Which when yeah. was the Concorde uh, developed and, and released again? Do we know? We, we know that we know what year, don't we? Oh, well actually, well, which year was it? Oh, was 71. It? It was was it seventy one or seventy two? I can't remember, but it was right, it was early seventies. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it's been in development since the fifties, I think. That uh, I think the first I think the first flight was like seventy one or seventy two. Right, right. Yeah, the um, year everything went wrong. Speak, yeah, speak, speaking of all speaking of all things European, though, um, we 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 have to talk about you know our good friend Nick Hubble wrote a book called How the Euro Dies. <laughs> I, I, I sent him an email today asking him when he was going to do the follow-up, um, how the euro died, because the euro is now at parity with the US dollar. And if you thought the US dollar was a shit coin, well, you were looking in the wrong spot because the, Europe, the European Union's euro has become an absolute piece of dog shit. <laughs> yeah, what is yeah. going on? What is going on with the euro, guys? Yeah, everyone was uh, shitting on the pound after Brexit, right? And it was all, oh, look, look how stupid these British people are that they voted for Brexit. Now their currency has become an emerging market currency. <laughs> and we're just seeing the same thing take place, except the euro, except different people are pointing this out. And yeah, you know, it's all Germany's fault. And they fucked up big time. <laughs> It's all their fault, and I have no sympathy. It really is. I have no sympathy. Uh, they're not even accepting responsibility for it. Merkel herself said, "No, no, no. I didn't do anything wrong." You know, she wrote. wrote I don't know if she wrote the article or if it was an interview with the FT, but where she's basically just saying, "Well, yeah, I didn't screw up," and uh, they, the, the Germans really. Germany didn't screw has up. been the ultimate kings and queens of of, of economic uh, mismanagement. Mismanagement. And I, I, I literally, I, I, I concur with your sentiment there. I, when, when I saw that it was a hit parody today, I, um, I messaged a friend of mine who's an economist back in Australia, and I said, this, I'll, I'll read the, the signal message verbatim. Euro at parity now with USD. Good work, Germany, you fucking useless cunts. <laughs> <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> yeah, not a, not a happy situation. Obviously, the average European uh, doesn't deserve it, uh, but this is just the way it is. And uh, as much as everyone says, oh, look at these crazy Russians 
you know, look at all of the these catastrophes, they're losing the war, et cetera, et cetera. And the reality is, is just so much different. They've got them over a barrel. Like Russia just has Europe over a barrel of oil and gas. And they're getting what they want, ultimately. The, uh, and the Germans are going to have to pick, yo, hot shower or virtue signal. Well, do you and want to say that about, they're, they're energy rationing now? Yeah, well, supposedly. I don't know the specifics of uh, like uh, location by location. but I had, suddenly... read, I had read that in some like state-controlled housing, they were turning the thermostats down to 17 degrees or something. Winter's yeah. going to be a bitch for that country. There's going to be right. There's going to be like... They've like the Dutch farmers rolling out their tractors across the country in yeah. another kind of protest. You will have the same thing happening in Germany. The people, there's going to be some confrontations this, this year, methinks. Yeah, I do wonder. The, the Germans always seem so compliant, though. They, they love authority. <laughs> and I, I just wonder if they're if they're actually going to do anything or if they're just going to suffer in silence and grumble about it and feel superior to everyone else for some other reason. What's your take on the whole thing in the Netherlands? Because that seems pretty wild. And the coverage of it is so skewed and yeah. missing in a lot of ways. You know, it's hard to find a lot of mainstream coverage of this. So when you are listening to it, you are listening to people who have a very you know strong populist, anti-globalist agenda kind of thing. It's like, how much of this can I trust? Is this why this is happening? What's yeah. your take on it? I it's it's, it's tricky because you never quite know what the real information is because as you say you, there is weirdly a very big lack of, of of coverage at all in the mainstream media of a lot of things these days yeah which, which like is, Hunter I Biden's do, I do Hunter weird, Biden's I, iCloud account yeah. <laughs> yeah so many things so many things yeah um it, like. And and it, like it's yeah it's tricky because they're not I don't know why they're not like I don't understand why the news outlets here aren't really covering it because you know if that farmers are protesting over in, in Holland about uh, issues with, with government cutting I think it was a cut to to the nitrogen to nitrogen or something the, the, to try and keep uh, agricultural carbon emissions under control or some bullshit and it's you know send, sending a lot of farmers they're pissed off about it. They have been roadblocking, you know, major arterial links across the country into Germany and into other countries into Belgium. Um, so I've, I've been I've been hitting up some family who live pretty close to the border of Germany and Holland out uh, out out east. Uh, and I said, oh, there've been a lot of protests, a lot of farming protests, and they were kind of a bit dismissive of it. They were sort of like, yeah, there are. It was almost as like a regular kind of thing about farmers protesting. And they right. live in an area that is very agricultural and there are a lot of farming community, there's a big farming community out there. I didn't seem too phased by it. So I've got to admit, at some part, it does certainly look like there is a quite a significant uproar in the country from farmers. But at the same time, it also feels like maybe a lot of the Dutch population aren't all that bothered by it. It's kind of like, well, this does happen from time to time kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's one thing. I, I I think it's certainly happening, but I also don't, and I think it's much worse than what you will probably have the mainstream tell you about. But at the same time, I don't think it's as 
full on and as bad as those with a bit of an agenda would have you believe either. Yeah. It's like everything's such a case of gray areas and not having all the information you would like, and you just need to kind of guess it out. I, I think this comes back to uh, what I said earlier, where when there's a cost of living crisis, all of this green agenda is going to evaporate. Yeah. And I think this is maybe a case of pushing the green agenda to the point where people are already suffering. And now you're saying your livelihood has to take another hit because we're trying to save the planet here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it just doesn't fly. No, no. that's yeah. when you get, that's when people really get pissed off and then they do march in the streets and they say, you know what? Fuck you. I need to mm. survive. I need to put food on the table for my family. I don't care about your agendas. I, I need to, I need to earn. And if I can't earn, I'm going to tear down your fucking houses of parliament. Yeah, there was the uh, the great shot of somebody pulling a private jet that had allegedly been used by Mark Rutte out of its hangar with a tractor. <laughs> was, yeah, quite an image, quite an image. And I'd, I'd seen somewhere they'd, um, uh, they uh, were apparently rolling tractors up to the doors of uh, Hornigan uh, Airport to uh, to stop all people getting in or getting out for that matter as well. So yeah, I, I, I'm heading over there again, not too far away. So um, if it's all still going on, then I'll, I'll, I'll be boots on the ground, live reporting from uh, Amsterdam and, and, and Dutch farmers protests. Uh, the thing I was thinking of about, so this, talk about this cost of living crisis, which you know, there's always, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, an, it's a bit of an issue, obviously, at the moment. I was thinking, I was trying to get my head around today. I was thinking this this afternoon. I had, had a couple of people come around to give me some quotes on some landscaping that I need done in the backyard. And the prices are just getting to be a bit of a joke, really. Um, and so it's likely that I'm just not going to get the work done anyway. <laughs> um, because, the cost, because the cost of things, the cost of materials, the cost of yep. everything is just stupid. And it's very abnormal and it's out of the ordinary. And I'm trying to think to myself, do these prices come down? Okay, the prices of some materials might ebb and flow, but I find it difficult to think that people working in industry or people that are self-employed, be it builders or landscapers or whatever, even if the cost of timber, if the cost of bricks, the cost of materials, if that were to drop by 50%, I don't see them dropping their prices by 50%. Yeah, I don't think so. So, so this inflation, if we if we get 10% inflation this year and then 10% next year, I don't then see prices coming off by 20%, you know, over the next two years after that. I, they're just going to stay high. So where the fuck does that put an economy if while you might get raw material prices decrease, people don't people don't give themselves pay cuts once they've had to knock their prices up. Yeah. Well, where it gets you is uh, the 1970s, I think. <laughs> it affects people's psychology a lot and their spending habits. Yeah. And uh, yeah, not a not a happy place to be, but such is such is where we are. Like the only thing I can see that would really knock that shit down is basically getting close to a depression where you have yeah. to reduce your prices, otherwise you don't get any business at all. Yeah, if there is a big debt deflation, uh, major bankruptcies leading to a, a 
big cut in uh, jobs, big cut in uh, salaries across the board, then yeah, I then things, th things like that, I can imagine. But I just don't see any government in this current situation that would uh, like not get in the way of that impulse by doing some kind of really inflationary spending tactic in order to prevent that from happening. And they would definitely have the tools to do it with all these uh, debt guarantees that they're doing, like with the, the bounce back loans, where banks are incentivized to uh, make loans that they would not otherwise make by the government saying, we want you to lend to the private sector. And if, if the debt goes bad, we'll pay it off. So what now that they have that tool, it seems hard for me, it's hard for me to imagine this repeat of uh, a 1930s style Great Depression. But at this point, given how many things are going wrong, it's, uh, you know, what can we what can we predict? What might be coming around the corner? Uh, one, there's, there's so many different angles we could, uh, we could take on this, though I do note that we have avoided uh, the elephant in the room, which we did start with, Sam, which was what our man, Elon, you know, our dear friend and compatriot is going to do with this Twitter deal. I, um, you know, I thought, I thought he was just going to buy it. I genuinely thought he was just going to buy it. And I think he still is. Yeah, I, th I think you, you can't help but think now that he still is, but he just is, he's realized that he can get it at, what 60 percent cheaper now <laughs> maybe well are you familiar with the the idea that uh this was actually just an elaborate ruse to let him liquidate eight billion dollars in in, te in tesla stock without uh causing any fuss because he was just getting out of the top of the market so even Has if he, he pays a one billion dollar uh cancellation fee he still ends up with uh, you know seven billion that he didn't have otherwise and which he couldn't have had because it would have looked really bad. So has he already liquidated that? Yeah, yeah. So that's already been liquidated. Uh, so he's got that cash in the bank. So if the, if the Twitter deal is off and he just pays the fine, he, will he buy his shares back? Probably not. But I still think he's actually going to go ahead with it. And this is all just a ruse to try and get the price down again. I, I think so. I, I, can't, I, I, I think his ego is too big not to buy it now. Yeah. And, and, and he could. It could make it good. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not horrible. It's actually pretty shit, to be fair. But I I also think that there's a, there's a it's like it's like in a divorce where usually you'll hear one side of the story, but you know there's always two. Um, I think that part of it is actually that Twitter's numbers on their spam and fake and bot accounts five percent. I find that very hard to believe. Very yeah, as a, we're, we're maybe our view is skewed. Everyone's Twitter account is totally different. I found, yeah, just what you see on your feed, and then if you set up uh, another account and your, uh, you know, your so I used to have one for finance and one for politics, right? And uh, I found that you know just the kind of content I would get was completely different. You would feel like you were everyone's in an echo chamber. Yeah. But nobody realizes how everyone else is in a different echo chamber. It's like we're all in a theater, but instead of watching one thing on the main stage, we're all wearing VR goggles and watching a completely different show. <laughs> so 
we are in crypto Twitter, Sam. And in crypto yeah. Twitter, there are way more bots than you'd other, otherwise find, I would expect. So, you know, is it 5%? I don't think it is. But at the same time, I'm aware that my experience <laughs> is very different from so many other people's. I, I want to say yes, but I do have another account that I set up just to protect myself from spammers and scammers. And right. it has something like 700 followers or something. And there's, it's never tweeted anything. Ever. Right. That's not, Is being, this a flex? that's not being followed by real people. No, mate, you've just got such a magnetic personality. People just hunted you down and wanted to follow your real account. That was it. It's it's a bit crazy. It's like I remember when I I didn't I used to not have that many Twitter followers. And to be fair, I don't I don't have loads now anyway. It's it's almost at five thousand. But I remember it wasn't until I went to CES and I posted a video about a self driving. Uh, I, I took a ride in a self driving car, and I went from like. 1500 to like 3000 in the space of about a couple of months. And again, I've not ever done a proper, you know, filter on, on, on my followers, but there's no way I've got, you know, almost 5,000 people that at least no way 5% of them are bots. It's got to be way more than that. I cannot believe it's a 5%. And that was before I was really tweeting loads about crypto or even before crypto Twitter even kind of became a thing. I had yeah, been tweeting about, recent. I've been tweeting about crypto since sort of I first had Twitter, um, but not, but crypto Twitter was never that big a thing in, in 2013 and 2014. There weren't Twitter crypto bot accounts because no one gave a fuck about no. it. No, no, no. Yeah, what we now think of as the phenomenon of crypto Twitter, I would say only really began in early 2017. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. What, what, is there some allegation from Twitter now saying that uh, Elon Musk uh, was paying uh, was paying like bot farms <laughs> to, to uh, I think Zero Hedge, maybe Zero Hedge was just uh, joking about it. That'd be saying a that there was. But I think yeah, so, I think they've got pretty good grounds to to to, to take into to town. But you, you you almost kind of want them to start to get a bit bitchy about it and go to court, and because then there's going to have to be discovery and there's going to be a whole bunch of information that's going to be made available that we perhaps weren't you know, party to previously. I think it's good. It's a good thing. It's a good thing when titans of industry like that uh, get into a courtroom. We we learn a lot about how they operate. You'd hope so. You'd hope we would, <laughs> but uh, I guess so much, so much lawyerism, so much lawfare. Maybe, maybe we still won't find out what was really going on. You know. Yeah, I, I still think he'll end up with it. I still think he'll end up because, like, if Trump's going to have social media, then Elon's going to have a social media company. Yeah, I, I, I think he's going to go ahead and, and buy it, but it, the price might be a lot lower. On the topic of um, Twitter and things either getting suppressed or trends arising out of Twitter, like it's so much, it's it, it is so possible to game Twitter, uh, and nation states like Russia definitely do take an interest in doing this. It's the same with Reddit and stuff like that, uh, with coverage of various uh, you know political things and whatever. And also, the United States definitely does. I mean, there was an article I think in the early twenty tens from The Guardian, 
just talking about how the Pentagon had this uh, like this big tech unit. And the whole point of it was for manipulating elections in foreign countries uh, using accounts that were uh, they they had not a nice bit of uh, machine learning to create what looked like could be a believable person from uh, this country tweeting about something. So the, the, the accounts would look authentic enough for people to believe that that is a voter in the area. And this is early 2010s or it's late 2000s. I think it's early 2010s when The Guardian reported this. And is it really such a stretch to believe that they would not take this technology and direct it at their own countrymen for uh, in the interest of national security, of course, never, never anything other than that. They, this stuff is definitely going on. I think Twitter is pretty oblivious or they're helpless in the face of it. So they know it's going on, but they don't do anything about it. So what's trending and whatever, it's never believable. Like I, it's very hard for me to believe what everything that is on the trending tab is actually trending as a result of organic engagement and not the product of somebody trying to make something trend. But that said, right, this Hunter Biden story and the leaks, uh, quite extraordinary. Have you, have you seen any of the content, Sam? No, I, I must admit, I haven't actually seen any of the content. You'll have to enlighten us. Oh, uh, it's, it's really quite, quite something. Uh, yeah, some people have set it to music, some good montages going on. Um, and yeah, that's that's the president of the United States son. Uh, how, arguing... that, how that how that was just like they they how they just dismissed that like no, it's not it's not actually a thing. It's you know, it's Russian disinfo. It's yeah, Russian, Russian disinfo. disinfo. And but, that but video that... people bought that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That video of uh, Hunter Biden arguing with a woman who is likely a prostitute over how much crack. He is weighing on his scales and filming himself while he does it. I mean, that's that's Hunter Biden, the president's son. I mean, it was already like on knowledge that he was uh, uh, romantically involved with his brother's widow. I mean, that's already a massive red flag, right? That's a fucking red flag, man. That's a massive red flag. But yeah. this, I mean, it's, it's it surprises is, even me. I, I, by Joe Biden is the biggest non-event of all time like of, of all the presidents in history it's like he's the president but he's not really the president it's just like there's nobody that's the president at the moment it just happens to be this weekend at bernie style character that's just sort of <laughs> sitting in the chair for a little bit until somebody else comes along it's a weird sort of state of flux it feels like with with america because he's like a caretaker he is like a caretaker. He's like the replacements, but doesn't end up being, you know, doesn't end up winning the game at the end. It's yeah, it's like um, it, like when you were at school, right? And you got a substitute teacher and they just brought them in part-time out of retirement. Yeah. And, and they're the, like really and the old. Kids had no respect for them. Just <laughs> ran amok for the entire day. Didn't listen to a word they said, but were probably damaged by the end of the day from the lack of, of anything that they got out of it. Um, no offense to substitute teachers, you do a fine job. Um, oh yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a weird it's a weird sort of thing, and and like I yeah, <laughs> it's just it's like America's a bit of a non-event, and they've just they've they've gone backwards. That country's gone backwards. As bad as Trump was, there were some things that he did okay. I mean, 
there was as, and as good as people think Obama was, there are a lot of things he didn't do okay. You know, they're all very much put it this way, and we've said this before. A lot of most politicians are all exactly the fucking same person, just wrapped up in different foil. And that has never been, I'm going to get political for a moment, that's never been more obvious than in the UK right now, where not one, <laughs> not two, or three, or four, or five, or six people are now lining up for the PM's job, but 12 of them, 12 of those fuckers have said, you know what, I'm going to do this shit. If that hey man, it's a democracy. Man, if that doesn't signal just how much of a clusterfuck that party is, and how fucked UK politics is, that they wanted this guy out of the job so bad and there was so so much disunity amongst all of them that there's now 12 of those fuckers backstabbing and spitting and scratching on each other to get that job. And, and what's worse, the Labour Party are silent. Not a peep out of them. It is. Um, Utter It's madness. pretty sad, sad state of affairs. I mean, ultimately, uh, I'm a big, like... It was something John Butler, our uh, friend and colleague, said uh, said to me the other week. Where you know democracies are meant to be messy, right? It's good that they're messy because that means it's out in the open and we're all aware of it. It's not an authoritarian regime where all this is just kept behind closed doors. It is meant to be a, a messy affair. So I think you know you know we need to look on the bright side. I do feel like the the level of general incompetence across the chamber, uh, yeah. where you have so many like so many indiscretions that uh voter just got away with it like just kept getting away with it and opposition did not make it enough of a problem so many own goals yeah and yet the the it seems that in the end it wasn't anything that labor did that led to bojo resigning like that it was that it was all it was its own inertia <laughs> uh inside the conservative party um yeah, Sam, I mean, what, who's your pick? Come on, we've got what, 12, 12 folks here. Who's it going to be? Oh, look, I was always, I've, I've said for a long time that, that Dishy Rishi was the guy to take the reins because ultimately it's a popularity contest and people want someone that's, you know, I, I, as, as superficial Popular. as this is, people want someone that looks nice and, and has a bit of gravitas about them. Uh and he's got a bit of that, and um, he doesn't—he doesn't need the money. So uh, <laughs> at least he's got that going for him. Um, I don't know, man. I to be—do you know what? And here's my big prediction: is that the next election, the next general election, this country goes into, Angela Rayner will be leading the Labour Party, and she'll fucking dominate it. You reckon? Yeah. Big calls. I'm calling. Come on, it let's here. substantiate this. Why Rayner? I I get the feeling she speaks to the people that typically support Labour better than anybody else does. As and and this whole thing about you know them pushing back on her being working class, she amps up the working class thing, which is fine. I got no issue with that. It, she is legit working class. And uh, I just think she probably is more representative of her electorate and the people that, the, the you know, labour inclined. And I think she'll probably win in this in this kind of climate where there are issues around cost of living and things like that. And, yeah. and the Tories are as close to fucking communists as it, as it is anyway. Um, <laughs> I think that labour, you know, they can fucking shoot themselves in their face, but 
I think she's got a bit of that. She's got a bit of that personality, that relatableness that you need. And uh, and and if they don't if they don't run into the next general election with her, they will not be in power again for the next hundred years. Oh man, next hundred years, damn. Um, I mean, I think... they're, they're idiots now with Starmer still leading that fucking party. He's if you thought Weekend at Bernie's Biden was bad, he is. He's basically a cardboard cutout, Keir Starmer. He certainly doesn't come across as. Um... To me, at least, it doesn't come across as uh, somebody who sort of arrests your attention. Uh, I, I would say that. That said, I mean, I don't think there's, uh, from the conservative side, there aren't too many people who arrest your attention that much. And, you know, maybe it's because Rishi Sunak's not very tall. I don't know. But um, it is, I think what come, what what the kind of crux of the matter is uh, the demographics of the electorate. So the conservatives have managed to coast by on just appealing to boomers. Like that, that is it. So in this leadership co- contest with all of, with everyone trying to establish their own platform, how much of that, how much of any of what you've seen from any of the uh, prospective leaders of the Conservative Party are doing anything where they, where they're trying to make an appeal to young people. And you can't really find very much of it. So the Conservative mantra has been, well, young people don't vote, so it doesn't matter. And I think... Well, with every day that passes, more boomers die and more young people come of voting age. And we are getting to the point uh, in the demographic structure where we're really entering like the, uh, you know, sort of the belly of the beast, like the pig passing through the python. We are actually entering a period where loads of young people, uh, like a big, big sector of people are becoming, uh, are voting enabled at the same time. That that crossover has happened in Australia. There are more millennials now in Australia than there are boomers. Right. And I think the cost of living crisis is going to politically engage them because they are going to start feeling it. So maybe that's going to be what's really going to uh, be a massive force in the next election. Yeah, I think that, that, the, that's, yeah. that's primarily the, 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 the three things is, is affordability of housing, affordability of fucking everyday life, living expenses. They're going to be the two big things. And the Tories at the moment couldn't organize a fucking fight in the street brawl, let alone the party leadership. And if Labour had any sense about them, that's what they would just be hammering home, hammering home, hammering home. I think somebody that's very working class and speaks to the people that are experiencing that, which is pretty much everybody, um, I think that's powerful enough to get them over the line. Yeah. I was thinking Ben Wallace, the Defence Secretary, was uh, had a pretty good, pretty good shot at it. Maybe he still does. He said he's not interested in standing. But maybe that's him biding his time. He'd have to be what the only person that's not interested in standing. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, him and um, him and uh, Baker, our our gold standard oh, believer, indeed has uh, has uh, said he's not going to stand as well, which is uh, which is a shame. But it's uh, it's just the way it is. I thought uh, so. I thought uh, Wallace would <laughs> would stand because he's a military guy, and in times of crisis, people turn to military leaders. Though, on Southbank Live, someone did point out that Ben Wallace is bald. And the last time, the British electorate went for a bald guy was Churchill, and things were a lot worse back then. I, I never factored this in. I was, not, I was not thinking of hairline. But maybe this is a big thing, Sam. What do you think? 
It's a good point. I'm just trying to work my way through sort of leaders of significance. I mean, you need, you do need a, you do need a reasonable head of hair to lead a country. Well, that's the thing. So we're like, the, is the Norwood scale, right? For uh, receding hairline. That's the, that's the scale. Having said so that, I having said that, hang on, there's a big caveat to that because okay. one of the longest standing prime ministers in Australia was John Howard. And mm -hmm. there was nothing but shine on the top of that scone. <laughs> yeah. See, this is the thing. I didn't think it was such a big deal. Maybe the British electorate have a different view. I didn't think hairline on a guy uh, would be, because, you know, it just comes across as quite masculine. So if they're looking for a masculine leader, then, then they'd go for a masculine guy. But uh, uh, Berlusconi was pretty bold. Yeah, yeah, but not totally. He's he definitely had some sprayed on up there, you know. What about Putin? Putin does Putin get the bold moniker? Thankfully, it's not a democracy, so uh, he doesn't have to worry about it. <laughs> Even Xi Jinping's got a decent head of hair on him. Yeah, I mean, how much of it's natural, right? So, um, so I think the 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 most recent like top case, um, well, on the Norwood scale for like a full head of hair as a, as a U.S. president. You're looking at Reagan, who has the a Norwood zero. You know, he has no receding hairline whatsoever. Um, he, he's almost like a negative on the scale. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. like creeping close to his eyebrows. Yeah, <laughs> she's gone for the sideburns and everything just to complete the look. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, I, I yeah, Rishi Sunak. Um, so for example, we're Sunak very very presentable, obviously. Oh, yeah. uh, you can he's so and he, he has such incredibly broad appeal there's very few uh sections of the country which he wouldn't appeal to in terms of the electorate i would think i don't think i would find him very impressive when it comes to things like defense at all but uh on, on when you're talking about domestic policy it seems like he could probably do a pretty good job because he's pretty open for public spending and public spending that appeals to the masses so you would think that in times like this, that those that have come from Treasury and the financial side of things probably have a leg up than those that maybe were the education minister or something like that. Well, it depends. It depends what the what the counter is, right? So I think Treasury is not a badge of honor in this environment. Maybe um, not this country. It's, I, I, my, my experiences has always sort of been, it's almost like a, 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 a pathway, a rite of passage that you do your time as the treasurer in Australia. It's a treasurer over here. It's a chancellor or whatever. Chancellor, yeah. Um, and it's basically you're the treasurer. And then when the fella that's PM's had enough, you step up to the plate, bobs your father's brother, and away you go. Um, yeah. but it's a little bit different over here, I must admit. Mm. The thing, well, what makes Sunak so um, individual is the fact he was only an MP for two years before he became chancellor, mm. which is absolutely extraordinary. That is nuts. Uh, so really meteoric rise. I mean, this is the you know second second top job, pretty much, unless you can't like the yeah, foreign office, but it's pretty much second charisma, top job. Yeah. I mean, look. Oh, well, clearly. Evidently. Georgia was a bit of a dick. Let's not be around the bush but he had more charisma than anyone else in that party and that's yeah. what that's what got him the job really 
you just got to have some charisma and at least know a little bit about what you're doing. Thing is, then you've got like Joe Biden and uh, like the guy there's, uh, in, his, in his younger years, he was obviously a very formidable politician, very capable of speaking very uh, you know, aggressively and Had a lot of charisma powerfully, when he was younger. but no more. And yet he still ended up with top job. Yeah, I maybe mean, it's carryover charisma. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's the, the legend. He's look, coasting. Look, look at US president. All, like if the, the best, you are the best, I say that. The best. The best. Um, bundles of it. Um, you know, Obama had nothing but charisma. That guy just oozes charisma out of every fucking pore in his body. He could literally fly drone strikes in the Horn of Africa. Get away with it. And people yeah. wouldn't care. Um, people didn't. Exactly. You did that. <laughs> um, yeah, Kennedy. You know, they talk about Kennedy like a god, and he wasn't around yeah. that long and didn't do a lot. But fuck, he had some charisma. Yeah, I don't know. I think he did a fair bit given his short time in in power. Um, I think it's more sort of the time, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis and everything, Bay of Pigs. That's uh, sort of a man of history element to it. But his private life, you know, he did whatever he wanted as well. Uh, <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, who's your so who's your who's your pick? So you think Sunak's gonna Sunak's gonna clinch it? Uh, yeah, I can't see anyone else. Everyone's like, oh, this person's you know definitely right for the job, or this one's oh they're perfect for it. We, this is what we need. Like people don't care what you need. People just want the one that's gonna be, it's gonna look the best sitting in the big chair. And I think it's gonna be Sunak. And that's, I think that's a fair fair approximation. I think, look, uh, he, like you say, he um, he presents well. I think people look at their prime minister and go, right. If my prime minister is standing next to the prime minister to the president of America or the German chancellor, are they going to sit up on an even keel, or are we going to be a little bitch next to them? And I think Sunak, out of all of them, probably does that better than the rest. He's, that's the thing though, his stature, he's not very tall. He's what, like five foot seven or something? Like, you know, in those photos, I don't think he's gonna look gonna look that big. Couple, and we need him to look big. Heels and he'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, the Tom Cruise method, right? Yeah, just some dangle those trousers a little bit lower, stack those <laughs> heels up. He'll be six foot before you know it. Yeah, yeah, and fair on enough. Telly, on telly, everyone's the same height, don't forget. It's true, this is true. Yeah, it's only the only yeah. time you ever actually seems when they're all standing on in funny moo-moos at a G twenty conference or something. Yeah, I mean, one thing that was strange about the whole Bojo stand down was like what really broke the camel's back here was it just the party Partygate stuff and then behind closed doors, all the all of the the Rishi Sunaks and the Sajid Javids etc. were like, yo, it's time to it's time to assassinate Caesar. We're gonna we're gonna do it. And then when they saw this pincher scandal come about, they were like, okay, let's just go now. Was that, yeah, is that it, what took place? It is a weird one. Cause the, the, the whole pincher thing, I was like, that's what did it. That's what did him in? Like, nah, yeah. that's not what did him in. That was just conveniently An the, excuse. Last, the last thing before that he got done in. I think they were plotting against him for probably the last 12 months, really. You know, yeah. and I, I don't think it was until now that someone has, had told Sunak and uh, Sachit David that they had enough of the MPs to actually 
get one of them the job. And I think someone behind, I think, the, you know, you never know who moves behind closed doors with these things, but I would think that if, if, if it went to a vote tomorrow and it's going to go to a vote, I think not too far away, or maybe it is too far away, it's like 10 weeks or something, um, Sunak, Sunak would be the one that would get, all, get, that would get the, the bulk of the votes tomorrow. Yeah, I find it interesting with Michael Gove's uh, recommendation that Kemi uh, gets, it, it becomes prime minister. Because Gove is meant to have a huge amount of power behind the scenes when it comes to uh, the internal workings of the Conservative Party. So he's got to know something. Uh, and maybe, maybe he knows something we don't. I think if they don't, put it this way, I think the big, better question is, who would they put in that would completely destroy the Conservative Party? And then you can just start to, not, not necessarily because they're bad human beings, but just they're incompetent as fuck. And then you can start to draw a line through a bunch of people. And then you end up with maybe two or three at, at best. So wait, you mean completely destroy the Labour Party? No, that would completely destroy their own party. Just because, right. because, because all Conservative voters out there would just be like, you fucking serious? This is who you chose to right, leave? Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look, to be fair, all of it, all of it. If you're a swing vote, like, I'll admit, historically, I've always been a swing voter and I will vote when I had, is in Australia where you have to vote, otherwise you get. Yeah, it. illegal not to, right? Yeah. So, and in Australia, I, I was, and I've not always voted here in the UK. Um, but in Australia, when I had to, I was a swing voter. I would vote for the person and the party that I felt best represented me and my future. Um, and I would do the same here, except they're all a bunch of, they're even fucking worse now than they ever were back then. So I don't even think I would vote. But then, I don't know. You get into that whole, if I don't vote, then, you know. Yeah, and you know, who are, even if you don't like anyone, you can always vote against the person that you really don't like of all exactly. the bunch and all that. Yeah. The problem is always the same: that a very select, elite bunch of numpties are making big decisions for people, and on the balance, they're incompetent, underqualified, and don't actually know what they're doing. Are you telling me my vote doesn't matter, Sam? Never did. I'm the I'm the astronaut holding the gun behind your head, looking down. Yeah. Never did, Boaz. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great meme format, that one. Really? It is that's very the best good. meme formats of all time. <laughs> I wonder where it comes from. I don't even know. Uh, but it is a winner, that one. Sam, which uh, beer are you on now? Right. Well, to cool down, thankfully, we've got a bit of cloud cover over now. The light breeze is coming through the windows. My fan is being a little bit more effective. And I have moved from... So I started with a Sol. It's not exactly the most boutique of beers, but it was fucking cold and it went... Promoting big. Solana. Very nice. Very nice. I support. So, yeah. Getting the old Sol, um, Solana... Um, what is it? Thing in. Get my Solana royalties. Summer. Get my real royalties from them. I wish. Um, no, but then I had a Gypsy Hill Hepcat Session IPA. A 4.6% oh, yes. uh, from... Yeah, Gypsy Hill. Very nice. Brew. We've had plenty of Gypsy Hills before. We have um, Yeah, lovely little. On a cold, on a hot day, nice and cold. Session IPAs are a very good way to go. As much as I don't like the term session for any beer, because every beer is a session beer, on the balance. Um, very right. nice. Hepcat. 
cool little logo, cool little dude holding up a sign in a, like a fucking baristas or cafe or something. I don't know. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't even remember. I'm not even thinking straight now. Um, uh, Pretty strong. No, I said, I can't remember. <laughs> Uh, hipster, it's hipster as fuck. It's hipster, right? Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Good one, Gypsy Hill. I'm gonna give you, I'll give you a B minus. That was really, that was nice. Maybe it's just a heat, but a B minus. Nice, very nice. Uh, today I've just been drinking uh, one of the final quantitative eases that I've got. Uh, long, long live quantitative ease, the seven point four percent double IPA we commissioned from the Great Cheddar Ales. Uh, I wonder. I wonder if we'll be able to get another batch going at some point in the future. Hopefully they'd so. Do, they'd have to do a batch on um, on the clusterfuck that is the Tory party, wouldn't they? Would that, would that have to be some sort of political? What would be the pun? What would be the pun? Uh, I was thinking the other day. Tory's arm me, in half. Wait, what? Tory's arm in half. Come on, surely there's something... Tories um... Um, in half. No, 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 no. There's got to be something about Bojo's exit. Like the blonde retreat or something. And it's a blonde beer. <laughs> the bumbling blonde. Or uh, what was it? The nickname for Carrie in uh, number 10 was like Princess Nut Nut. I've got one. <laughs> Maybe there's something that you could do with that. This could be like a, one of these... The zip line out, zip line out the door. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's old school, isn't it? Well, it was what 2012 or something that happened. I think so, yeah. Zip line <laughs> out the door. Yeah. That, that I, bad. I quite like that. <laughs> what would it be though? A zip zip line out the door. Uh, probably needs to be strong, wouldn't it? Uh no, it would need to be weak as piss. And completely, completely unfulfilling to what you would hope. <laughs> Dude, we want to sell this. We need it to be successful. If you want to, if you want to make it true to form, that's how you'd make it. Yeah. Two percent yeah. IPA that tastes like uh, lager. Leaves a bitter taste in the mouth. Actually, that's not a bad idea. A bitter. Would yeah. Be <laughs> yeah. I was asked the other day for a, a new beer idea, and I said uh, inflation shock, and the it's a it's a beer that costs a hundred hundred pounds RRP, uh, but it gets reduced by ninety five percent by the uh, store that's selling it. That's actually brilliant. Yeah, maybe we should do it. That I'll is send it over to Cheddar. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> that's correct. All right. Well, mate, have you rated? I'll call, call it before? the US, the US dollar, and it has to be sold <laughs> at a ninety-nine percent discount. No, that'd be the euro, surely. Wow, there <laughs> you go. The euro. How the euro dies. Yeah, how the euro dies a beer. Mm, that would be good. It probably needs to be Belgian. Yeah, it needs to be Belgian, wouldn't it? Got the Brussels. Has uh... to be German, doesn't it? Well, it would the EU being in Brussels, you know, but then the yeah. German side. Yeah. 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 Cold shower. Cold shower. Berliner Weisse. That'd be it. Served extra cold, and we sell it during winter. 
Or if it's again German and it's uh, maybe a golden owl, it should just be golden shower. <laughs> he went there. Yeah, Sam, I'll leave you to promote that one. Uh, some, I'm sure some very interesting adverts that you're going to come up with for that. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sam Volgring, brewer of Golden Shower. I'm here in Germany to do some on-the-ground boots-on-the-ground research. Oh, mate. <coughs> oh, dear. Have you rated Hamburg Sam? Hamburg right now, investigating. <laughs> Good Lord. Oh dear! You know we've reached that time of that that time of the podcast. Yeah, it definitely, definitely. Uh, I would definitely need another beer if we were going to continue further. But I do think we're close to our to our hour. Um, yeah, Sam, have you rated Sol before? Um, I don't feel it's appropriate to rate such a mainstream beer. Yeah. A bit like rating the political party Budweiser. that govern us. Yeah, that's fair enough. I'm on quantitative eats, so I can't rate it because uh, we're obviously biased here. But that was very good. How about Hepcat, Sam? Uh, yeah, B minus Hepcat. Very nice. Very nice. Well, folks, I think we shall uh, we shall leave it there for episode uh, 80, 81 or 82 we're on now. Very good indeed. Uh, of course, we're, weekly cadence is still pretty tricky, but uh, we'll hopefully be back soon with the next episode. Uh, given what's happened in between now and the last episode, uh, Lord knows how much different the world will be by the time we get around to recording the next one. But I'm sure we'll have no shortage of things to discuss. Hope you enjoyed this one. And uh, in the meantime, hope you're having a fine time and enjoying some fine beers despite all the chaos surrounding us. We'll see you next time, folks. Have a good one. Bye bye.